Answering why many aren't using their gifts associated with their calling, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Why do believers let their gifts go flat and dormant? Let me just give you an answer, a very simple one. One word, fear. Fear. Most people, most often, it's a simple fear that's rooted itself in a person's mind and rendered them idle or even inactive. What will people think about me? What if I fail? What if I get embarrassed again? What will really happen if I really go for it? What's going to happen if I really open my mouth? What's going to happen if I really step up? What price am I going to have to pay? And they're wrapped by fear. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. It's been said that fear is a thief. It robs us of so many important things. One of those things is the courage to step out in faith, fulfill our calling in life, and really make a difference. Hello, we're glad you've joined us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're continuing in Romans chapter 11. It's there we'll find some encouragement in our calling. But first, let's hear a little more about the faithfulness of God. When you pick up your newspaper in the morning and you're flipping through the pages, I want you to know something. If you want to think of a memory, you want something to hook your memory of God's faithfulness, you're flipping through the newspaper. Whenever you come across a story on the nation of Israel, I want you to remember God's faithfulness. Maybe you read the news on your phone and not the newspaper. and You go, oh, another story about Hamas and Gaza and there's Israel again. God's faithfulness. Maybe the headline news on the story on the news program in the evening is, this is what's going on in Israel God's faithfulness. Because Israel is a people that have been scattered for hundreds and thousands of years, and they are now occupying a portion of the land that God promised them. Like when you read the story of what's going on in Israel today, it's not like it says, well, there's this group of Jews in Parker that are being persecuted right there, and they're fighting over that little strip down Parker Road, and you got Hamas on. That's not what it is, right? They're in the land. Like they're right there where God promised They didn't say, oh, there's this big skirmish going on between the Palestinians over there on Quincy and the Jews right there on Hampton. That's not the news story. The news story is that God gathered his people back, well, back to the very place that was promised to them. God's faithfulness. The vision of the dry bones is coming to pass right before our eyes. God's work in Israel and the nation of Israel. And during the Great Tribulation period, as God seals those 144,000 witnesses from all the tribes of Israel, and they begin to fan out and share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there is going to be a radical revival among the nation of Israel. That God is going to draw them to himself a future restoration that I believe includes a literal restoration of Israel, and the Messiah ruling and reigning from Jerusalem right there on Mount Zion as it was promised. Do you know there are three groups of people on the earth today? Not 400, not 10,000, but just three. You can jot this one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. I'm going to read it to you. But I want you to know from God's perspective, there are three groups of people. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32 says, Give no offense either to the Jews, that's group number one, or the Greeks, which is another phrase for the Gentiles, that's group number two, or the church of God. And so there are three groups of people. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and then when a Jew or a Gentile places their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a part of the church, a distinct group of people. And so Israel, with the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church, Israel is distinct even to this day, and they will be revived again. It will be a time of great blessing. And if God used Israel's fall to bless the Gentiles. And this is the argument that Paul's making. How much more then will he bless the world when Israel returns to him? I ask you to hold your place in Zechariah. Let's go through a few verses in Zechariah chapter 12. So go back there. Zechariah chapter 12, 13 and 14. God promised in that day that they will repent. God has promised this work, this restoration of Israel. I love this. It is such an important part of the nature and the character of our God. And so we've already looked at chapter 12, verse 10. Let's look at it again. It says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they're going to turn, right? And they're going to wonder and look upon him whom they pierced. Then look at chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, In that day, this is looking to a future restoration. He says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Chapter 14, verse 9, turn a few pages over. The spiritual revival that God speaks of begins in the Great Tribulation period. God is rapturing his church. The Great Tribulation period begins and God's attention is turned again to the Jew. So that at the end of the seven-year Great Tribulation period, Jesus Christ returns to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now we've gone in depth to the study of this millennial period. Revelation chapter 20, you can grab the MP3s or the CDs and study them because we've gone through it in depth in previous studies. But look at verse 9 of chapter 14. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one. His name is one. Verse 11. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. This is throughout the entire Bible, gang, God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to the nation of Israel, his faithfulness to those who turn to him. And you want to just tuck that away. That no matter what you face or what's going on in your life, when you turn to him, you will find his faithfulness. Now, before we come into this time of communion, there's one thing I want to point out to you. Notice again verse 13. One thing before we leave. Verse 13, back in Romans. Come on back. Romans chapter 11. As I was praying through this section of Scripture and preparing this Bible study, the reason why we stopped short in verses this morning is because I believe God has given us a word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge to be shared I was going through and and working through the verses and thinking, well, how far, Lord, would you have us to go? And and I stopped right there at verse 15 because 13 just really, the brakes went on with this simple little phrase that Paul says. He says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I just start there because it's amazing how God works. He often works very opposite than the way we think. You know, he sent Peter to the Jew and Paul to the Gentiles, but you would think, wait a minute, don't you think Paul would be better sent to the Jews and Peter to the Gentiles? After all, you know, it was with Cornelius and Peter and all that that the Gentiles, that God exploded on the Gentiles, but that's not what God does. He often, you know, we have to learn this. It's really good to know this. 
God's ways are not our ways. <laughs> His thoughts are not our thoughts. And right when you think you got everything figured out, God's going to show you you don't really know anything. The Bible says we don't know anything as we ought. We just don't have that kind of knowledge. We need a fresh word from God today because even though you might have done the same thing 20 different times, on, 20, on the 21st time, it just might be different. It's a new situation. And you don't want to lean on your own understanding. So I thought that was cool. But then he says, I magnify my ministry. Now, he doesn't say that with a sense of arrogance or pride. That's not it at all. I magnify my ministry. It's Paul, his Evangelistic Crusades Incorporated. Yay! Woo! Let me write a book about my ministry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I magnify the work of God in my life. I am excited. Paul had this confidence in his calling, and it instilled in him the courage to serve the Lord with gladness and perseverance. He magnified his ministry. Paul is an example of a guy for us who put his hand to the plow and didn't look back. And he was refined. It wasn't just like he was given a ministry and just jump into it. He was given a calling and then God trained him up in the midst of his service. And we know from many, many different examples in the scriptures of the price that Paul paid for the ministry that he's magnifying. I meet so many people, they want to jump into the ministry, whatever they have in their mind. They want to create their own ministry, but they don't want to pay the price. They want to jump in and begin to gather people to themselves. They might want to get into the pastoral ministry. You know, for here, for those that want to serve here, one of the first things that we do, you know, Pastor Ed, I really think I've got a call to the ministry. I really think this is my calling. And and what do you want me to do? What class would you have me to teach? When can I teach behind your pulpit? Because after all, that's what I really think God's calling me, to take that pulpit from you. That's what I want. Now, what do I, where should I go? And we'll say, you know what? We want to help you in your calling. We want you to thrive in your calling. You have a gift of teaching. Can you go clean the toilets for us? What? What? What do you want me to do? Clean what? Yeah, could you just, you know, there's a need. The, the, the bathrooms, the people that were cleaned, they weren't able to make it in this week. And you've got such a great calling. Can you go take care of that for us? You know, the responses will be interesting. There's a variety of different responses. Or can you just go out in the parking lot just watch the cars for us? Watch the cars? I can't preach to the cars. There's nobody in the cars. How can I use my gifting? Well, can you just, can you just go out and do what's needed to be done today? Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to pay a price and learn the lessons that God has for you? You realize, church, by now that the pulpit ministry in my life is a very, very small part of my life. 45 minutes, an hour, three hours, whatever it might be, that God would give me to teach. It's just a small part. I have the services here on the weekends and then the midweek service. But my life is filled with pastoral ministry the rest of the week. If I'm not studying or praying, I'm ministering to people. That's my ministry. I love teaching. I love studying. God's designed me that way. I love to read. I love to study. I love to communicate. I love that. I love that part of it. But you know, it's a very small part of what God has called me to do. The gifting in this fellowship, my gifting, I know from the Lord is pastor-teacher. It's not teacher-pastor, it's pastor-teacher. And I love that calling. I love that the Lord would use me that way. But you know, you can't jump into the ministry gang and not pay a price. Maybe all the things that have been going on in your life have been refining you to prepare you for serving Him. That you've been paying the price in advance as God uses things in your life to teach you and refine you. So if someone says, you know, we need the toilets clean, you're like there. You're there before even anyone asks. Oh, yeah, you might have a teaching calling. That's great. But, you know, in the ministry, I've learned. I learned this early on. I mean, I 
I read it early on in my life, but I've learned it over the years, that people in general don't really care how much you know. They're not really concerned with, wow, that, you really know a lot, Ed. That's great. You're just, wow, whoa. You know, people really don't care what you know until they really know that you care. That's the pastoral ministry. That's the believer, ministry of a believer. Yeah, it's great to accumulate all this wonderful information, but if you don't care about people and you don't have, and I don't have a servant's heart, then you have a very cold, dry, partial relationship. And it really doesn't matter how much you know or what your calling is until you really have a call to have a heart of God to love people and serve them. Paul says, I magnify my ministry. He had this confidence, this perseverance that was mind-blowing. And I believe this is a word from God for you, for some of you today. Even as last night, I've already received emails from the service last night that God spoke directly to the hearts of many through this topic, this magnification of our ministry. I believe that God would have you to know for you not to be discouraged or for you to cower in fear when it comes to the ministry that God has called you to but that he would have you to stir up the gift that he's given you. To stir it up. The picture of stirring up, well, flip over to 2 Timothy, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul writes to this young man, Timothy, he's in the ministry, and he writes to encourage him. Timothy, we gain from his letters that we read with his name on them, that Paul writes to him, we gain that he was a timid guy, that he battled with different sicknesses and different illnesses, and he was called to this magnificent ministry, but he had some issues going on in his life. So Paul writes to him to encourage him, and I look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says, therefore, I remind you, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, hey, look, young Tim, I want you to stir up the gifts. The idea is a fire that's going out, you know, like in your fireplace. Now, this doesn't apply to everyone that has a fireplace with a switch on the wall. But isn't that cool, by the way? Isn't that just a cool thing? Hey, honey, can you make a fire? No problem. You just go and flip the switch. I think it's great. But for those of you that have a pre-flip the switch fireplace in your house, the one where you got to chop the wood and all that, all that kind of stuff, I feel bad for you. I mean, you may like doing that, but chopping the wood. Anyway, as you, as you go to your fireplace and you put the wood in and it's got a great fire, great flame, and it starts to go out, you know, you might hear, hey, honey, the, the fire's going out. Can you go stir it up? And you get the poker out. And you start to stoke it and move it around. Fan it. Get some oxygen in there. The flames come up. Put some more fuel on the fire so that that fire would be raging again. And I wonder how many hearing my voice today need to stir up, to stoke in their life the gifting that God has given you and get back in the game, step up where you're at, and begin to serve the Lord again. Why do believers let their gifts go flat and lie dormant? There are a lot of reasons. We don't have time to go into all of them today. But let me just give you one. Why do believers let their gifts go flat and dormant? Let me just give you an answer, a very simple one. One word. Fear. Fear. Most people, most often, it's a simple fear that's rooted itself in a person's mind and rendered them idle or even inactive. What will people think about me? What if I fail? What if I get embarrassed again? 
What will really happen if I really go for it? What's going to happen if I really open my mouth? What's going to happen if I really step up? What price am I going to have to pay? And they're wrapped by fear, whether the fear of circumstances or the fear of people, the fear of man. We know, according to Proverbs chapter 29, that the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. And so the enemy, he whispers in your ear, he kind of feeds that and fans it up. And go, oh, don't worry about it, don't do it, you don't need to step up. Don't pray for that, don't stir up your gift, it's not going to happen, it's not going to work. Look at your heart, look at your attitude, look at you. And you know, we do, we start looking at ourselves and we step away and then we walk away, not following through with that prompting, not praying about it, not really seeing it as, as real. And yet the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time to step up and serve the Lord. And I would say, don't fear exercising your gifts. If you have a gift of teaching, then start to teach our young ones in the children's ministry. Pray about opening your home for one of our koinonia, our fellowships, our home fellowship groups. Start to look for opportunities, maybe even at work, where there's a person at work that has questions, and what they really need is for you to take a half hour once a week and disciple them and start to teach them. Maybe you have a musical gifting. Well, come out to our musicians' fellowship. Get involved with the musicians there. Start to serve together. Start exercising your gift in the company of believers and see how God raises you up, because the Bible says God raises up one and puts down another. Maybe you have a compassionate type of gift. You're a merciful kind of person. Well, grab a couple of your friends that have similar groups and go down to the hospice and begin to minister to the people that are right on their last legs, ready to enter into eternity. Maybe some of them are believers, their families need encouragement, or some are unbelievers, and you go share the gospel with them. But there are countless, I mean, we are living in a world, friends, that is just ready to be saved. This world of ours. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. And there's this big emphasis, well, let's get them in here. Let's bring them in. Let's bring them in. And I say this, let's send you out into the world. Amen. Let's send us out and bring our lives into, hey, maybe the result will be to be a part of a thriving fellowship family here at Calvary. Great, but maybe it's not. Maybe God's going to send you into a place to reach a person that God is then going to take them and transplant them over here and they're going to be used and then they're going to be used. Don't be in fear of exercising the gifts. He's given them to all of us as believers so that the body of believers might be built up and the world might be reached. And instead of fear, remember, God has given us power and love and a sound mind. I like that sound mind part because, you know, you get confused and things get cloudy, but God has promised he's given you a sound mind. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. And so whenever there's confusion, whenever there's cloudiness, just keep seeking God because he'll clear it up for you. He doesn't want you to be confused He doesn't want us wondering and trying to figure things out, but simply to trust him. And it doesn't matter how bad things were in your life. Maybe you've had a big fall or how bad things might be or how difficult it might seem. In Jesus, you have the power to fulfill all of his promises. And in him, you have love to carry out all of his leadings. And in Jesus, you have a sound mind. And all we need to do is stir up what we already have. We don't need anything new. It's not like some new ingredient you need in your life as a believer. You know, I get this way at times, maybe you do too, when I'm really discouraged and I'm, I'm really confused and my mind's a fog, you know what I do? I go down to a bookstore. I might go to the Christian bookstore up here or, or I might go to Barnes & Noble and I go to the bookstore because I love reading and I love the smell and now they put coffee houses in them and you smell the coffee, you smell the books. I just love reading. I love hanging out in bookstores. But there are times when I'll go to a bookstore so beat up and discouraged with the mindset of, Lord, I need to hear from you. And I'll start reading all the titles of the books and saying, I wonder if it's the answer is in this book, Lord. Is it this book? 
You know, because there's a wave in Christianity. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in the wave where, well, I'm going through it, so I need to read the latest, greatest bestseller. That'll really help you. You really need to hear what this pastor had to say. Go grab this book, read it. It'll change your life. Hey, God certainly uses books, and I am not anti-reading or any of that. I love that. But if you're like me, going to the bookstore thinking, you know, this book's really going to help me. I know the answer to my problems right here is in this book. And I grab it and I buy it. Sometimes I'll buy books with that motive. And most of the time, those books become doorstops in my office. They're right there on the floor. Because, you know, the answer wasn't in that book. The answer's in Jesus Christ. And I'll have these conversations going up and down the aisle with the Lord saying, oh, it's got to be in this book. It's got to be in this book. And I can, I can hear the Lord saying, Ed, it's not in any book. At least not what you're looking for on the shelves here. What you're looking for, Ed, is me. Oh, I know, God, I know. I found you. I'm cool with you. I, I need some wisdom for this situation, and I'm bummed out about this, and I don't know how to handle this, and this has just come into my life, and I've got this great decision to make, Lord, and somewhere out there's got to be a wise man, a wise woman that can help me make this decision. <laughs> you can also hear the knocking on wood, right, on my head. Like God is like, hello. I've got every answer you would need, Ed. Your sufficiency is not in another man. Your sufficiency is in me. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Catch a replay at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, you've encouraged us to not let fear keep us from stepping out in God's gifting and calling. But what if you don't know what your gift or calling is? Can you tell our listeners how to identify it? Larry, that is a very common question. And unfortunately, it's the kind of question that Number one is easily answered. However, it's also one that's easily avoided. The thing that I would tell a person is that in the book of Romans, chapter 12, we are given seven primary motivational spiritual gifts, seven gifts that reflect the, the seven types of ministry that will come through different people in his body. Now, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the manifestations of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have the roles and some of the roles and responsibilities within the church. But in Romans chapter 12, we have these gifts. It says in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he goes through the prophecy, let him prophesy. Ministry, let him use it. Teaching, let him teach. Exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. So there are seven primary motivational gifts, and we have gone through them in depth. And those studies are available on our website and on our app. And I would encourage you, I can tell you this, I've taught this series of studies many times in our church. I've taught it in a very abbreviated way in just five days with a Bible college class. And I always tell them, if you will pray and be open to the Holy Spirit, by the time I finish the seven gifts, I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal to you not only what your primary spiritual gift is, how God has placed you in the body, but you'll be able to see its strengths and its weaknesses, and almost immediately associate that with how God wants to use you personally, and check this out, how He has been using you personally according to these giftings. Now, when I say primary gift, I don't mean that you only have one, but I do mean that every believer has been given at least one. And I would encourage you, go to our website, uh, go to our app, and under the title Spiritual Gifts, I go through a whole series of studies on the gifts, the manifestations, and 
the roles and responsibilities, and I know that God will use them. And one of these seven, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, one of these sevens is yours. One of them, at least one of them, sometimes two or three of them operate in your life. And I'd encourage you to study them with us and then email me and say, hey, Ed, uh, I found out what my gift was. And there you go. Uh, It's so powerful. And you'll know we're coming up on it here in Romans. So you can get a head start or you can wait. But it's this study in Romans that will, I told you at the beginning, it will revolutionize your life. And here it is. We're seeing so much change inside of us. Very, very exciting. That's very helpful. Thanks again. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 